the first half of Luke chapter 12, Jesus addressed covetousness. He addresses greed. He takes us into worry that we wouldn't be in a place where we're consumed for our physical needs. God takes care of the lilies of the field. How much more is he going to clothe you? We're exhorted to seek first the kingdom of God. I don't want to lose that momentum. Don't want to lose that context because as we go into the second half of the chapter, Jesus is going to talk about his second coming. And the two are connected. The answer to covetousness, the answer to greed is looking forward to the second coming of of Jesus Christ. Not being in a place of worry because we know Christ is going to return. The importance of seeking Christ's kingdom because Christ is going to return. So we've got our work cut out for us. So let's jump in at verse 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. This is a strange phrase for us, let your waist be girded. But remember the men, they would wear long robes. They wouldn't wear jeans, which I'm thankful that we live now to be able to wear jeans, right? So if you were going to do any type of action, you would have to gird up your your robe. So the idea is to be prepared and to be ready for action. Be be ready for service. The lamps burning has this idea of keep the lights on. You don't know when the master is going to return. So have the lamps burning. You're watching. You're waiting for the master to return. The illustration that Jesus gives to us is a master that has gone to a wedding. You don't know when he's going to come back. You don't know when he's going to return. So that faithful servant is waiting and watching and longing for the master to come back. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. So Jesus says, hey, you're blessed. If you're that servant who is faithfully watching when Christ returns, when you're serving the Lord, looking for his second coming, amazing that Christ is then going to serve those. He's going to gird himself and prepare a meal and serve those who are faithfully watching. Jesus is the ultimate servant, isn't he? John 13 Just before his crucifixion, he's with the disciples and he washes their feet. He humbles himself. John 21, he prepares a meal for Peter who had walked away, was out fishing, and Jesus calls him back, come and dine. The marriage feast of the Lamb, Revelation 19, a feast I'm looking forward to. Not having to worry about calories or carbs or gluten or prepared by the king, prepared by Jesus, the ultimate fellowship. And here Christ is saying he's going to serve those that were faithfully watching. This points to how important it is to Christ for us to be watching for his second coming. In verse 13, and if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find some so, blessed are those servants. So different watches of the night, the first or the second watch being 9 to 12, and then the third watch being 12 uh, to 3. The idea is no matter when Christ comes that we're ready and we're prepared. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, 
he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Isn't that true? If, if you knew when someone was coming to rob your house, you'd be ready. You'd be prepared, right? I'd be prepared. I'd be ready. I'm a hunter. Got a few other handguns. It's like, you want to do this? I don't think you want to do this, right? But the whole thing is, is you don't know when they're going to come. You don't have that assurance from the thief like, hey, I'm coming your way at two o'clock today, right? They're looking to catch you off guard. and, And Jesus says, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is continual readiness, For some that are wired toward protection and protecting their families, they kind of live in this place of just continual preparedness, continual readiness. You know, if you ever have lunch with a police officer, usually they pick their seat and they're like, I'll I'll sit here so I can watch the door. And you're like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I'll let you do that, right? And Jesus is saying, I want you to be in a place of continual readiness, not for a thief, but for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Do you trust the words of Jesus that he's coming at an hour that you don't expect? He's coming at a time when the world doesn't expect. And so for us to not be caught off guard, but to be in a place where we're ready and we're serving faithfully, waiting for his return. In verse 21, then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? Is it just directed towards disciples or is it directed towards all people. And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Christ's answer is this is directed towards anyone who's willing to be faithful, anyone who's willing to be wise, anyone who is willing to wait and watch for my coming. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Remember, Jesus encouraged us to lay up treasures in heaven, to have that heavenly perspective, to not get caught up just in living for the things of this world. And part of the second coming of Jesus is that he is going to bring his just judgment He's going to bring his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. He's going to set up his kingdom, rule and reign for a thousand years. But he's also bringing his reward. And he's bringing his reward to believers. And here Jesus is saying, if you faithfully serve, and I come back and find you faithfully serving, then I'm going to make you ruler over my household. We tend to think that our lives as believers, it really doesn't matter how we live, but it matters unto the Lord. Thankfully, we're saved by grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ, through the gospel. And in response to the gospel, we say, Lord, I want to live for you. As believers, we are accountable for our lives, not unto salvation, but accountable for reward. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and talks about our life passing through this fire, And that was for the Lord will will last, but what was for ourselves will burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. And it's hard for us to grasp that, but what we do in this life is going to impact the responsibility and reward that we're given in eternal life. And this life is short, and eternity is forever. It doesn't matter the task necessarily, but what matters is faithfulness. 
So it doesn't matter if it's doing the dishes or it's doing laundry or it's doing a, a job that's really esteemed by society or a job that's not looked up to. It doesn't matter. It's like, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. This is what God has given me to do. Paul puts it this way, whatever your hands find to do, do it wholeheartedly unto to the Lord. And we can easily lose sight of that. Do you find yourself discouraged this morning, especially in an area of service? You're like, man, I don't know if it really has amounted to a whole lot. Some of you are empty nesters and your kids are grown up and you raise them in the Lord, not perfectly, but faithfully unto the Lord. And they're not currently walking with the Lord. And you're like, man, was that all for naught? Was that absolutely wasted? Well, remember, it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of their lives. But also, you did it under the Lord, didn't you? It was under the Lord. And Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to reward you for serving him. Some may be in a very difficult marriage. And as you think about this new year, you're contemplating cashing in the chips. Like, I don't know if it's worth it for me to continue in this marriage. What keeps you in your marriage is your faithfulness unto the Lord. Let me encourage you, it's absolutely worth it. No matter what the results are, because you're being faithful unto Christ, and this life is short. You will not be married for all of eternity. For some of you, that is a great disappointment. For others, it's a great encouragement. But you will not be married to that knucklehead for all of eternity. This, this is a temporary arrangement. You be faithful to the Lord. You keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. And it matters to Jesus, doesn't it? Maybe you're in a really difficult job. It's thankless. You've been passed up on promotions. You've looked for other opportunities and it just hasn't happened. Keep doing it under the Lord. You're stuck in a college class where you're like, I don't know how I'm ever going to use this in my vocation. Answer is, you're not going to use it in your vocation. <laughs> but that's our educational system. So do it under the Lord, right? Say, God, this is the class that you have me in. So I'm going to do it unto the Lord because Christ, the King, our Savior, is going to show up and he's going to reward those who are watching for his coming and faithfully serving so looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that we check out from this life. And it's not this idea of like, well, Jesus is coming back, so I'm going to rack up my credit cards. No, it's Jesus is going to come back, so I want to be found faithful. I want to faithfully serve him in whatever God has given me to do. In verse 45, but if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. So there's this tendency to begin to adopt an attitude, a mentality that Christ is not coming, that Christ can't come back uh, today, that maybe this is some type of wishful thinking that Christ is literally going to return to this earth. And Peter writes about this. I'll, I'll read to you. He says, Knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of your coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In the last days, there's going to be those that say, Hey, Christ isn't going to come back. Christ isn't going to bring his judgment. Things are going to continue as they've always been. And this is what they forget. 
For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of godly men. Those that mock the second coming of Jesus Christ, what do they forget? They forget creation. They also willfully forget God's judgment with the flood. And Peter says, this is the word of the Lord. There is coming a day where this world's going to be judged and it's going to burn up with fervent heat. There is an aspect of global warming that's real. There's, there's a global warming that's coming, right? It's going to get real hot. It's going to get real warm. This, this world's going to be, be judged. Peter goes on and says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is God waiting? Because he wants people to come to know him. He's long-suffering. He doesn't delight in judgment. So that's why the Lord continues to wait. When we think about our attitudes towards the second coming of Christ, this verse 45, it does show us real, real clearly, if we don't think that Christ can come back today, that affects our faithfulness. This servant that didn't think the master could come back starts to be really cruel towards fellow servants, starts to beat them, starts to go to just eating and, and drinking and indulging uh, himself. Let's talk about eschatology for just a few moments. And it's a big word for the study of end times leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The, the rapture of the church is talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. It's when God's going to take believers who are alive to be with the Lord, to forever be uh, with the Lord. And there's several views. There's more views than this, but these are the primary views. There's a pre-tribulation rapture view, meaning that the rapture happens before the tribulation, the seven-year period in the book of Revelation of God's judgment. And then there's mid-trip, which is just like it sounds, that the rapture is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation. And then there's post-trib, that's after the tribulation. And then there's pan-trib, however it's going to pan out. We don't know, right? So that's the pan-trib view. And for me personally, I land on a pre-tribulation rapture view. And one of the reasons is because the other views, Christ can't come today. If mid-tribulation, Christ is going to come for the rapture of the church, well, that can't be today because if you read Revelation honestly, we're not in the tribulation. So now I'm looking for tribulation instead of looking for the rapture of the church, looking for, for Christ to come. It's the same with post-tribulation. Now, having said that, there's so many people that love the Lord, that study the scriptures, that have a differing position, and wow, we can fellowship inside of that unity, and we hold these future events with, with humility. But it's clear from what Christ is saying here, no matter what position you hold, that you should be looking forward to his coming, realizing that he could come at any time, and that invokes in us a heart of, of faithfulness. Verse 46, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and in an hour when he's not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself 
and do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who didn't know yet committed things deserving for stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, for him much will be required, and to him much has been committed. Of him they will ask the more. So Jesus bringing just judgment depending on what the servant had done and the one that had done things unknowingly relieves receives less punishment. And then Christ's encouragement here to declare to us that to much is given, much is required. We, we have to keep verses 46 through 48 in context of the Bible. If you were just to look at those few verses, you might think that it's a workspace salvation. Like if I'm not faithfully watching for Christ to, to come back, then maybe I'm not saved, and maybe I was, was never saved. And we're saved by grace uh, through faith, and hopefully that moves in us a heart and life where we're waiting for, for Christ's return. But this is not Jesus saying that we're saved by our works, but it is Christ encouraging us that we're going to be accountable for what he has entrusted to us. Too much has been given, too much has been required. So we think about, well, what, what's God entrusted to me? Well, he's entrusted to me salvation and, and grace and the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. He's entrusted to me my family and, and my job and this home and the different blessings that the Lord has provided in, in our lives, this ministry and saying, okay, Lord, help me to, to be faithful in the things that you have entrusted to me, the gifts that the Lord has, has given to us. In verse 49 I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. So this speaks of Jesus' heart for judgment, Jesus' heart for wickedness to be held accountable. And he's saying, I did come to, to bring this judgment, and I wish that it was already started, but I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. We tend to think of Baptism only as water baptism, but the word baptism means immersed, and water baptism is immersion. Jesus is not talking about water baptism here. He's talking about his crucifixion. He says, it's not time for the judgment to come, but it's time for me to be baptized in suffering. And notice his heart. He says, how distressed I am till it is accomplished. There's this turmoil in Christ until he's paid the price for sin upon the cross. He's going to wrestle in the garden of Gethsemane and pray, Father, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but, but your will be done. Jesus going to the cross for us shows us the depth of his forgiveness. There's some today that try to explain away Christ's teaching of eternal judgment saying no one is going to be sent to hell because God is love. And there's a lot of problems with that teaching. And the first is it contradicts the words of Christ. If you read John 3, Jesus is very clear that he came to save and those who believe in him are saved. But if you don't believe, you're condemned already. If you reject Christ, not once or twice, but throughout your whole entire life, there is that eternal separation from Christ. If we try to say that there's no hell, it diminishes the reality of our sin. God looks at our sin as something that separates us from his holiness and deserves justice, deserves punishment. If you get pulled over by a police officer 
and you're going 15 over and they write you a ticket, is it the police officer's fault? Is the police officer unloving for doing that? Sometimes it may feel that way to us and they remind us, hey, you were, you were going 15 over. It's like, oh yeah, I, I do deserve this. Is, is God unjust for holding us accountable for, for our sin? If also we diminish or try to dismiss the teaching of hell, it really minimizes what Christ did for us on the cross. If Jesus didn't get immersed in this suffering on the cross, there'd be no hope for you. There'd be no hope for me. But since Jesus went to the cross, there's forgiveness. And when the Bible tells us we're robed in Christ's righteousness, that's significant. When the Bible tells us that we're declared righteous because of our faith in what Jesus has done for us, that is significant. So, man, thank you, Jesus, for for going to the cross for us. In verse 51, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. It's kind of surprising, right? Jesus didn't come for us to all get along. That was not his, his ultimate mission and purpose. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to reach our hearts as we would repent of sin and trust him and, and believe in him. Inside of Christ, there is unity. Inside of the scriptures, there is unity. But apart from Christ, there is division. How so? Jesus did not say inclusive statements. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's exclusive. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. So guess what? Hinduism, it's not going to result in eternal life. Muslims, not going to result in eternal life. Mormonism, teaching a, a counterfeit Jesus. Moralism, just trying to be a good person. That's not the name of Jesus. We all need a Savior. It's only Christ who will save. So In Christ, there's unity, but that rejection of Christ, it does bring division. In verse 52, from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Some in families trusting Christ, receiving Christ as their savior, others rejecting Christ, and it divides a family. Some of you know the acute pain of that, don't you? You have a son or daughter that has rejected Christ and has rejected you because of your faith in Christ. You have a mom or a dad who has rejected you because of your faith in Christ. Some, there's division in a marriage because you're committed to Christ and and your spouse is not committed to Christ. And it brings deep pain, doesn't it? And stirs us and causes us to cry out for our family members that they would come to know Christ as their Savior. But Jesus is the greatest relationship. Our greatest loyalty is, is to Christ. And sometimes Christ divides families. His heart is to unite families. His heart is to see the whole family get saved and follow Christ. But each person in the family has their own choice, don't they? They get to choose if they want to receive and and follow Christ. Verse 54, then he said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather, and there is. I guess weather in Israel is a little more predictable than it is in Colorado Springs, right? 
It's like, hey, there's a cloud on Pike's Peak. It's going to snow. Not, not quite that easy for us. Jesus says you're able to discern the weather. Hypocrites, you discern the face of the sky of the earth, but how is it you do not discern the time? The signs of the time. They should have been able to study the Old Testament and see the prophecies that Christ was fulfilling in his first coming. We talked about some of these at our Christmas Eve service, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2, that Jesus was born of a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7. John the Baptist was a fulfillment of Isaiah 40, that he was the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It was specific that the voice would be in the wilderness. John the Baptist was in the wilderness preparing people for Christ. Jesus got up and read Isaiah 61, a messianic prophecy, and says, this is fulfilled today in your hearing. Doesn't get any more clear than that. Comes into Jerusalem, riding upon a donkey, the religious leaders are like, could you please stop worshiping Jesus? And remember what he said? He said, if the crowds were silent, the rocks would cry out. It was, would have been the first rock concert. really would have been. <laughs> kind of would have been interesting to hear, right? But they should have been able to discern and to be able to look at the scriptures and see the first coming of Jesus. His crucifixion predicted in Psalms 22 and Isaiah 53. His resurrection predicted in Psalms 16. But also for us, we're given signs leading up to the second coming of Christ. We won't know the day or the hour. If anybody says, Jesus is coming back March 1st, 2023, they don't know. Jesus told us clearly that we won't know the day or the hour. But we can look and see signs that are leading up to the second coming of Jesus. On Wednesday nights, if you've never been to our Wednesday night service, we go in-depth on this section of Scripture. So we're going to be looking at the signs of the times on on Wednesday if you want to come out uh, for that study. But I want to just highlight one verse that talks about some signs for the second coming. It's 2 Timothy 3. I'll read it to you. See if you think this fits. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now, if you would have read that 20 years ago, and then you fast forward and you read it today, would you say that we're closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ? Does it seem to fit more now than it did 20 years ago? If somehow my grandparents could be with us today, all my grandparents are passed away, I think they would roll over in their graves of what has taken place just in one generation. Two of the signs that Jesus gives leading up to his comings, he says it's going to be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Well, the days of Noah, there was extreme violence. The days of Lot, there was extreme sexual perversion. We're living in a time of extreme violence and sexual perversion. Again, my grandparents, their perspective, if they were here looking at 
the sexual perversion, they'd go, man, this is crazy. This has gone a long ways. The violence that's taken place, there's so much violence, we're callous to it. We don't even really stop and mourn when violence uh, takes place. We're getting closer. In Hebrews, it tells us that we're to be able to see the day approaching, speaking of the second coming of Christ, and as we see the day approaching, that we would not forsake the fellowshipping together of believers. One of our responses to, okay, we're getting closer to the coming of Jesus Christ, is to press into the body of Christ. I'm so blessed that you're here this morning, that you're an in-person service, that you're worshiping together. It's been a blessing to see God move in our small groups. Small groups have really exploded. You want to be in fellowship. Believers desiring to be in relationship, whether it's, it's organized through a church or you're doing it organically on your own, as the, God's bringing believers into your life. But we're seeing the times that we're living in and we're saying, I need Christ and I need the body of believers. But Jesus says you discern the weather. How much more so should you discern the times? Yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? Take the time to judge what is right. Take the time to look at scriptures and discern the times that you're living in. In verse 58, when you go with your adversary to the magistrate, so your adversary and you are are headed to the, the judge, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge deliver you to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you've paid the very last mite. This seems out of place. Why would Jesus say this now? And this is good advice. If your adversary's got something against you, you're headed to go to the judge, try to work it out in humility. Before the judge throws you into prison and you pay every last cent. But the bigger picture is Jesus is saying, are you ready for my second coming? And the ultimate judge is Jesus. And it would be wise before it's too late to humble ourselves and trust the gospel so that we're not held accountable for all the wrongs that we have done. We assume that this person in verse 58 and 59 is wrong. Their adversary sounds like that they're going to be held accountable for what they've done wrong. Ultimately, before the Lord, we're sinners and we need a Savior. If you don't know Christ as your Savior... Are you prepared for Christ to come back? And are you prepared to die and and to stand before the Lord? And I know it may not seem this way now, like Pike's Peak seems very real. You could go hike the incline uh, this afternoon, but Jesus is real. And Jesus is the creator of the universe and you're gonna see him, you're gonna stand before him. And the only thing that brings us into right standing is to turn from sin and to believe that Jesus is God to believe that he died for us and he rose again, and then to to humbly ask him to be our Lord and Savior. And as we do that, he's going to forgive us of our sin, give us eternal life, and begin to change and transform us from the inside out. I believe you know if you've made that decision. And if you haven't made that decision, in just a moment as the worship team comes and, and leads us in worship, would you come down front and let us know that you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior? Online, there's a team that's ready. But it's not about coming down front. You know what it's about? It's about you and your heart turning to Christ, seeing your need for him, saying, Jesus, save me. You can do that right where you're at. You can come down front. But the most important thing is to turn to Christ. 
And then for us as believers, let's watch. Let's be ready. Christ could come back at any moment, at any time. I want to close from just a story from my childhood growing up about watching and waiting. Is on Tuesday nights, my mom and dad, they would go to a Bible study at church. And my brother and I would, would stay home alone. And we were old enough to, to do that. And there was some strict guidelines on what we could and couldn't watch uh, on TV, which we didn't always follow. The, a favorite show for us that was on was called Tour of Duty, and it was a war show on Vietnam. And we would watch it, even though we weren't supposed to watch it. But Tour of Duty got, off, got done right as mom and dad were getting home from Bible study. So we always watched for that Ford Fairmont to drive up Meyer Drive, station wagon. But there was one particular evening where we weren't watching quite well enough. And we heard the door start to open. So we run and we turn off the TV. We didn't have a remote. That really dates me, right? We, we had to run to the TV and turn the, the, the TV off. And this wasn't streaming or anything. This was old school TV, right? And we turn it off. And my older brother, he turns to me and he says, mum's the word. And I had never heard that before. I'm like, what? He's like, mum's the word. I said, what? And now he's looking at me. You idiot, mum's the word. <laughs> By that time, dad had walked in and he's like, what are you boys doing? You're like, what are you trying to hide? And we were, were busted. That is not the attitude in which we wait for Christ's return. It's like, it's not like, oh, I, I'm waiting for, for Christ's return and, and I'm going to try to get away with as much as I can. But it's a heart where, man, Jesus, you, you've saved me. You're my savior. You're my Lord. You're my master. And I can't wait for your return. For a lot of us as believers, when we start to talk about the second coming of Jesus, we get really anxious because the Bible does talk about hard times leading up to, to his second coming. But church, we don't need to be anxious because this is the fulfillment of God's word. This is the fulfillment of all things. And I think more and more so, as we see how crooked and perverse our culture and world is, as believers, we cry out and we say, Jesus, come quickly. Like, Jesus, make things right. The second coming of Jesus is something that we long for and we look forward to because he's going to make all things right. And for us to really believe that he's coming puts our hearts in the right place when it comes to greed and covetousness. What are the kingdoms of this world going to be compared to the second coming of Jesus Christ? What's our home and cars and investments and all that, what's that going to be compared to the second coming of Jesus Christ? Well, what are we worried about? I've got stuff I'm worried about, but what is that compared to the, the second coming of Jesus Christ? And to accurately apply this as we wait for his return is we then move to faithfulness. We don't disconnect from the responsibilities of this life, but we go, Jesus, I want to be faithful because I want to be that servant that when you come back, you find me faithful. So would you stand with me and let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we do look forward to your return. We can't fully grasp it. We don't know exactly how it's going to come down, but we trust your word that you are going to come back. And we want our eyes to be fixed upon you, to be waiting, to be faithful. Lord, where we're discouraged, would you encourage us? Would you encourage moms and dads today to, to be faithful? Lord, would you encourage husbands and wives? Would you encourage us in, in our work, 
in our witness? Would you encourage us in edifying believers? Because we don't know when you're going to come back. And we look forward to it. And in the meantime, while we wait for your return, we do pray for salvation. Here in the springs, the front range, but throughout the world, that many, many, many would turn to know you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.